0: Let us open our Bibles. Our scripture reading is from Philippians 2 verses 1 to 11 and Revelations 5. We will begin with Revelations 2 verses 1 to 11, which is found on page 1349 of your Pew Bible. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. And our second reading is from Revelation 5, and you may find that on page 410, or 1410 of your pew Bible. And I saw the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll, or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth then he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne now when he had taken the scroll the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. And a number of them, and the number of them, was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and riches and wisdom, and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is under heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all of them that all that are in them I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever then the four living creatures said amen and the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives Forever and ever. So now let's uh, open up the, uh, our book of praise and read Lord's Day 12 from the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, you may pa- find that on page 527 of the book of praise. <sighs> So, Lord's Day 12, question answer 31. Why is he called Christ, that is, anointed? Answer, because he has been ordained by God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. Our only high priest who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and who continually intercedes for us before the Father and our eternal King, who governs us by his word and spirit and who defends and preserves us in the redemption obtained for us. Question 32. Why are you called Christian? Answer, because I am a member of Christ by faith. And thus share in his anointing, so that I may as a prophet confess his name, as priest present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him, and as a king fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and hereafter reign with him eternally over all creatures." The sermon I'm going to read today is written by uh, Dr. Wes Bradenhoff. The sermon was originally preached, preached at Langley Canadian Reformed Church in Langley, British Columbia. Pastor Steve has asked that I read a sermon from Lord's Day 12 as it will align with the catechism lesson. After the reading of the sermon, we will stand to sing hymn 25 verses 1 and 2. Beloved Congregation of Jesus Christ. Some years ago, somebody, painted, somebody made a painting of the Lord Jesus. In this particular painting, we see the United Nations building in New York City and Jesus standing beside it, towering over it actually, and making a gesture as if to knock at the door. Leaving aside the ethics of making pictures of the Lord Jesus, These sorts of images reflect a certain mindset about who he is. In this instance, he is the gentle soul knocking at the door and hoping that the United Nations will open up and answer his invitation. What we confess from Scripture challenges these sorts of pop images. We confess that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the Anointed One of God. The Greek word Christ and the Hebrew word Messiah both mean the anointed. At his baptism, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our prophet, priest, and king. Today we're going to take special note of that last office, the kingly office of Christ. We confess that Christ is our eternal king. That calls up many different kinds of pictures from the Bible. One of those is that he is a warrior. In biblical times, kings were also the commanders of their armies, and they often led their armies into battle. It is the same with Christ. He is the Lamb of God, but he is also the Lion of Judah. This warrior king appears in Psalm 110 leading God's people out to battle and bringing them to victory. In Matthew 10, verse 34, we hear the Lord Jesus saying, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. This eternal king is clearly revealed in the Bible as a warrior king. He fights. He fights for his people, in the spiritual warfare that has existed from the time of the fall. And in that fact, we also see him revealed as mediator, the one who acts for someone else. So in order to have a full picture of who this is and whom we believe in, we need to include scriptural truths, that Christ is our eternal mediator, warrior, king. I preach God's word as summarized in the catechism under that theme. We'll consider, one, his reign in our redemption, two, his reign in the response to our redemption, and three, his reign in the realization of our full redemption. So first, his reign in our redemption. Christ's kingship is found in many places in the Bible, Take Zechariah 9, verse 9, which speaks about the king of Jerusalem coming with salvation and riding on a donkey. Matthew tells us in 21, verse 5, that this refers prophetically to Jesus. Then there's also the passage that we read from Philippians 2. Paul doesn't actually use the word king to describe Jesus there, but we definitely find the concept of kingship. After all, Jesus was in very nature God. God is clearly clearly described in kingly terms in the Old Testament. But Paul tells us Christ laid aside his regal glory before the eyes of of mankind. He did this not by losing his divine nature, but by adding a human nature. He concealed his divine majesty for the time of his suffering and death. And after all that he did for us, we read in Philippians 2 that God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the highest name. This was so that everyone would bow before Jesus, recognizing him as the supreme authority and recognizing him as king. So the Bible teaches us clearly that Christ today is our exalted king. And what exactly does this king do in his reign? The Catechism summarizes the Bible's teaching on this when it says that, first of all, he governs us by his word and spirit. This has everything to do with our redemption And there are two different aspects to this. First, we should note that Christ brings us and keeps us under his reign by his word and spirit. Colossians 1, verses 13 to 14 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Did you catch that? We have been rescued from one kingdom and brought into another. How did that happen? Well, Christ works through his word and spirit. Through the preaching of the gospel, Christ rescues those dead in darkness and brings them into his wonderful light. The public proclamation of the good news is, is the normal way that Christ first brings us under his reign. It's also an important part of how he keeps us under his reign. When we hear the preaching of God's word, this is one way that Christ keeps us in his kingdom. With his word and spirit, he keeps us focused on serving the king and following in his ways. But there is something else he also uses. Something the value of which should never be underestimated. The sacraments. The king also uses the sacraments to keep us under his reign. He uses them too, along with the word, to keep us focused on himself. We regularly celebrate the Lord's Supper. As we take part in this sacrament we are reminded and assured of our king's hearty love for us. In all of that, the Spirit is working to keep us under the king's reign. Each time there is a baptism, we are also reminded and assured that we are united with Christ in his victory over sin and death. Sometimes, perhaps, we have the tendency to be individualistic in how we look at baptism. We think that baptism is something for the parents and the child, but the rest of us are just spectators. While it is true that only the child is being baptized at that particular occasion, the rest of us are not excluded from, the, from participating in the sacrament. There is a reason why we baptize in a public worship service. This is something that involves the entire congregation. Each time a child is baptized, the entire congregation is vividly reminded of who our Savior is, that he is our eternal king and mediator. Each time we see the water being sprinkled on a covenant child's head, we see a picture of our union with Christ in his death and resurrection. Christ uses this this visible preaching of the gospel to keep us all together under his reign, And so word and sacrament ministry, which we only find in the public worship services of the local church, is a key part of Christ, both bringing us under his reign and keeping us under his reign. In all this, we see him working as a mediator king who loves his subjects and works for their good. That brings us to the second aspect of his reign and our redemption, the Catechism says that He defends and preserves us in the redemption obtained for us. In other words, Christ is not only concerned with what, with bringing us and keeping us under His reign. He's also interested in protecting us from whatever and whoever might take us away from His reign. Think of the various passages in John's Gospel where the Lord calls himself the good shepherd who protects the sheep. Who exactly does he protect us from? We could think of two two different enemies, specifically the world and the devil. The world wants to bring us back to darkness, and it uses different ways to do that. We're told that being worldly is more fun and exciting. We're told that being worldly is freedom and being able to be your own boss. We have to recognize that this we have to recognize this as the lie that was told by Satan at the very beginning. We need Christ to protect us from these lies and deceptions. We also need to see that these worldly attitudes often creep into the church as well. People intent on godly living and holy lives are sometimes attacked or undermined by people they would least expect it from fellow church members here too we need Christ to protect us and guard us in our salvation then we also have the devil he's the one that Peter calls a roaring lion looking for someone to devour he's a fierce enemy and we shouldn't underestimate his power Satan and his demonic forces also seek to destroy us and rob us of our redemption. Thankfully, in his love, Christ promises to defend and preserve us against him. In John 10, verse 28, we hear him saying, I give them, the sheep, eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. But how does he do this? It's through his sovereign power. Christ is king of kings and lord of lords. And everything and everyone is subject to him, including the world and Satan. It's through his mighty hand that he can and he does watch over us. Yes, praise God. Christ, our king, defends and preserves us. He's like a warrior king. Defending the helpless citizens of his realm. He's a mediator who lovingly cares for those under his wing. He does that not only for individual believers, but also for the church as a whole. We have a redeemer who is mighty to save, our eternal king. He reigns in our redemption, and now we'll we'll see that he also reigns in the response To our redemption. Through faith, we have been incorporated into Christ. The Catechism refers to this biblical truth when it says, I am a member of Christ by faith. The language here is meant to call up the image of a body. We are all parts or members of Christ's body. This means we have union with Christ, and so we share in his Holy Spirit and his anointing. Baptism, like I mentioned a moment ago, is the testimony of this union. The result of all this is that we, like Christ, are also prophets, priests, and kings. I am a member of Christ by faith. That means that I have been redeemed by Jesus. His spirit works faith in my heart, and I embrace Christ as Savior. What follows is a matter of loving thankfulness. I love the God who bought me. I want to be thankful to the God who brought me out of darkness to dwell in his light. The way we do that can be summarized with these three offices of prophet, priest, and king. So, in our office of king, we are responding to the redemption Christ has accomplished for us. This is part of our sanctification, our thankfulness. Keep that in mind. We also need to remind ourselves of what we confess in Lord's Day 32. In that Lord's Day, we say that thankfulness is Christ's work. In us, Christ, having redeemed us by His blood, also renews us by His holy Spirit to be His image. In other words, the good news includes our sanctification. Some believers have this idea that God's grace only goes as far as our justification. The sinner gets saved by God, and then his grace and, at, and then after that. You're on your own, and you have to keep, you have to work to keep in God's favor. It all depends on you. Brothers and sisters, that is a Roman Catholic way of thinking. It is not good news. The Bible teaches us the good news that Christ is at work in us, also in our sanctification. He reigns not only in our redemption, but also in the response to our redemption. We sing Psalm 110 before the sermon. There's no other psalm that portrays Christ as the warrior king in greater splendor. From this psalm, we see that the warrior king is not alone. He has soldiers under him who join him in the battle. Verse 3 of Psalm 110 says that these troops will be willing on the day of battle. We might ask why that would be. What makes us willing soldiers under Christ our King? For the answer to that, we could go to Philippians 2, verse 13. It is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Specifically, it is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who dwells in us and who leads us onward in holiness. Christ carries out his reign In the response to our redemption through the Spirit who lives in us. Nevertheless, this doesn't take away, this doesn't at all take away from the commands that are given to us and the responsibility we have to follow those commands. A second ago I mentioned Philippians 2, verse 13. I didn't mention verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence. But now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yes, it is God's work. It is the Holy Spirit. But he uses and shapes our wills and our obedience in the process. So with the Spirit living in us, we will hear the imperatives of Scripture and follow them. Follow them out of thankfulness and love for the King and what he's done for us. Recognizing that our call as kings is to fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life, this image of the Christian soldier fighting against sin and the devil is found several places in the New Testament. Probably the most well-known is Ephesians 6, where Paul tells the Ephesian Christians put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes I'm not going to go through that passage verse by verse you can do that for yourself at home this might be a good passage to read with your family the one point that I want to draw out is that Christian soldiers have not only defensive armor but also have been given a weapon for the battle Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The Bible is the only weapon that Christians have been given to fight against sin and the devil. It's our sword. In the ancient world, soldiers were trained to use swords. Normally, you can't just pick up a sword and go into battle and expect to find success. It's the same with Christian soldiers. We need to train with the sword of the Spirit and be able to use it effectively in battle against our enemies, sin, the devil, and our own flesh. As we fight this battle, using the tools given us, we increasingly come to share in Christ's victory over sin. Our union with him, in principle, starts more and more to look like a union in practice as well we begin to more and more look like our victorious warrior king. His reign among us becomes progressively more obvious. That's one outcome of this battle, and it's a lifelong fight. The whole Christian life, from the time of regeneration to the time of natural death or when Christ returns, is one long battle. Christ came to bring peace to his people but we need to see that it is a peace which starts a war. The good news is that it is not our war, not our battle. It is Christ's, and the victory is assured in Him. The war of Christ and His people against sin, the devil, and our own flesh will be over when our full redemption is finally accomplished. Let's now briefly consider His reign in that we confess that Christ is an eternal king. That means that he has always been a king, and he always will be a king. However, the day is coming when his reign will be more glorious than it has ever been. In the age to come, King Jesus will have unsurpassed glory in the new heavens in the new earth. As if that isn't good enough news, we have the promise of His Word that we will be there reigning with Him into eternity. Though today we often suffer and experience grief in this broken world, God's promise is for something better, much better. Hebrews 12, verse 28, tells us that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Through Christ, we know that eternal glory waits for God's people in the age when our full redemption is realized. Then Christ will reign in full glory, and we will reign with him. Revelation 5 shows this most beautifully and powerfully. This chapter portrays the victory of Christ. He appears in this chapter as the Lamb, but also as the Lion of Judah and the Root of David, victorious and triumphant King. In this chapter, we also find that those who had been purchased with the blood of the Lamb have been made into kings and priests to God who will reign on the earth. Here we find a promise of future glory for God's people, just as Christ was exalted, so also his people will be exalted with him. And so, when our full redemption is realized, we will reign as kings with Christ our King. With his sovereign power, he and he alone will make it so. And in this too, we see him as our mediator. We know that it doesn't depend on us and our strength but on him alone. He will guide his people to victory like no other can. At that glorious moment, at the consummation of all things, not one of his people will be missing. This is our Savior.